This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Casey Cheshire. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston Chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization, this is Leadership in Action. Here we go. We are live. We're cranking. We're going to have some fun today. And, and I can't wait to learn from today's guest. She is incredible. A thought leader with immense marketing expertise. About time we had some marketing conversation on this podcast and also leadership conversation. All of we, And this guest is an expert on lead generation. She's also the president-elect of the entrepreneurs organization, EO People, the Boston chapter, which means she is the upcoming president, which is very cool, very cool honor. Then also president of Simply Direct and its research division, GatePoint Research. Lisa Vitale, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm glad you're here too. I can't wait to chat and learn and 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 hear what you have to say and, and smash some myths while we're at it. So I'd love to pass this back to you and, and ask you this question that we start on every show with, which is, what is a common misconception about leadership and being an entrepreneur? I think one of the ones that comes to mind for me is the myth of the charismatic or celebrity leader, like for mm. example, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, or the privileged leader who feels that they should be treated differently for some reason, like Carly Fiorino, who used to be the president of Hewlett Packard. I believe that leadership is not, being a good leader is not about the leader. It's really about being, having courage. And that's the one thing that I believe all good leaders have in common. Without courage, we wouldn't be leaders. It, it's, 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 there are so many different ways to define courage. It's the definition to, uh, the courage to defend or promote a compelling vision. It's the courage to be vulnerable. The courage to create an autonomous work environment and let your employees fail. It's uh, the courage to correct mistakes, mistakes that you've made and say, hey, you know, I got it wrong. I'm willing to do this over. It's the courage to admit when you're wrong. It's the courage to ask for help when you need it. It's the courage to be patient. And I must say, I am probably the most patient person in the world. It's the courage to let's live outside your comfort zone. And it's the courage to predict the future by creating it. I think those are the primary um, examples of courage. Wow. Predict the future by creating it. I know sometimes we're, we're talking about how there's a, sometimes there's a question on the show where we say, you know, what's coming around the future, around the corner in the future that, that you're excited about. But this, this almost flips that on its end and says, it's not about what is coming around the corner. Let's just make what, let's make it. Let's make the future. Let's create it. Uh, I love this, this conversation. There's, I mean, there's two big things I want to take apart here. The, the courage, but also even before that, you mentioned that one part about it not being about the leader. And that's really interesting to me. Hey, you're a leader. It's not really, it's not really about you. Um, so why do, why do people think this? Is it, the gossip mags that do that or why why are we so obsessed with the the leader themselves and and does that get into their own brains to kind of take them off track i think we've been sold a bill of goods mm. i think that you know the media and even social media has really exacerbated it it's made everyone uh famous for 15 seconds and it it really, I think it, it it amplifies those people that take up a lot of space and a lot of airtime, and it doesn't tend to uh, 
allow those of us that are more humble or more quiet about our leadership excel. But I think that if you ask many companies or, or many employees who they would prefer to work for, it would be someone who's much more humble and quiet than someone who takes up all the, all the space in the room. I mean, Steve Jobs was horrible to work for. Yeah, great. He created all these incredible products and, and, and you need some of that vision and some of that energy, but you don't always have to do it in a way that's kind of destructive to your team. You know, I guess that that's that question where they go, well, you know, Steve Jobs was horrible to work with, but then we like flash our iPhones, you know? So what do you, what do you do with that? Because maybe that's just one example of success. Is that yeah. what's happening? Like we yeah. look at one and we're like, well, you can be a jerk because clearly it works. Maybe, yeah. Or is that the exception to the rule? I think it's more the exception. I mean, I think that some visionaries to create do need to have this energy that can be very um, negative to create something incredibly positive. But I think most leaders don't have that luxury. They definitely don't have that. That even if they have an incredible vision about something, that if they don't have the charisma to go along with it, no one's going to follow them. Right. You know what? As you were saying that, aha moment for me, it's like, uh, Steve, it's a good thing you created the, the iPhone because you are an asshole. Right. <laughs> and, if, and if not for the iPhone and maybe the Mac and all these other things, man, you are out of here. And I, that happened to him too, right? He got booted out of his own company. Right. Probably because right. he's a jerk. <laughs> and and maybe he was a little nicer when he came back. Maybe not. But you you better be creating an iPhone with or magical unicorn waterfalls if you're going to. But what, what did you say? N not everyone has that the, the luxury of or the leeway that comes to be able to, to act like that really when it comes down to it, the real everyday leaders, leading companies, and especially the people listening to this podcast, we can, it can't be about us and, it, and we can't act like that. Well, yeah, and especially when you're an, uh, an entrepreneur and you're just starting a company, you can't do it all. And you don't have a lot of people to do everything too. So you really need to um, get as many people as possible on board with your vision. I know that this past year and a half has been really challenging uh, because of COVID, but I was really upfront with my team. I was really honest. I was really open. I, I you know, I said, hey guys, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to hire a bunch of people because I don't want to maybe have to fire them. I said, but I need you guys to really give, not that they don't give 110%, but I'm like, it's going to be really hard in the short yeah. term. But in the long term, I promise when we see that light at the end of the tunnel, we're going to hire appropriately. We're going to make sure everything's staffed. And my team stepped up in the most incredible way. I am wow. incredibly thankful and grateful for them. Well, and you were honest. I mean, you, you showed courage in that moment. Um, and I know this is not about you, but like I'm, what I'm hearing from that is you, you showed courage in that moment to be able to say something that maybe they didn't want to hear, but you needed them to know. Right, right, right. And I know as uh, leaders and entrepreneurs, we often are afraid to share a lot of things with our uh, employees. One is to seem weak, but then there's that, oh, if we tell them too much, then they're going to think we're making a million dollars when we're really only making 200,000 or 100,000, whatever. 20K. <laughs> 20K if we're lucky because you take on all the risk. And, and there's always that, I think, fear, particularly on the entrepreneurial level, to hold back a lot of that, to not share that, not to be vulnerable, not to be open. Yeah. Yeah. That, that again, the fear then ties into the courage. So it sounds like this is a perfect segue to go from, to go from not about you. It's not about you as a leader. You got to get people's buy-in. 
to get around that fear and having courage. So let's now talk about the courage. So courage, you've defined it beautifully. The mission, be vulnerable, connect mistakes, be patient. Where, where does this come from? Have you, have you experienced when you don't do this? Like, where does all this knowledge come from? How, how, how have you experienced this? Well, I, I, almost every day. I mean, one example is um, pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. I continually do that. Uh, doing this podcast is outside my comfort zone. Being the president of EO is outside my comfort zone. Oh, yeah. And I, I've, I've been very lucky to have a lot of coaches over my life, over my, you know, over my years as president. I've been president as Simply Direct for probably about uh, 12 years. And uh, the first person who taught me uh, to be a coach taught me to be just very humble about it. it just do it in a way that uh, is very honest and open and communicates what's going on. And I'm never, I'm never afraid to ask for help. I'm never afraid to say, hey, I just don't understand. Maybe I'm not the expert in the room and I find an expert. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge, right? That, that's that common phrase of don't be the smartest person in the room. You know, but you need to have courage to not be because it, it can be a little disconcerting if you're surrounded by a lot of smart people. Uh, sometimes I, I'm sure we've all felt that at EO when you're, whatever, you're out of your depth in a particular topic. You're just like, this is amazing. But then you're glad you're there if you're thinking about it the right way because you're like, I'm going to be learning more than anyone right now. This is going to have the most value to me because I'm not the smartest person in the room. Yeah. I think some of it is also having a thirst for learning. You know, like mm. like you said, at all these EO events, we go to all these EO events and sometimes they seem like they're a little repetitive. But every time I leave one of those events, I take a piece with me. Yeah. Or I relearn a piece or I take it and I modify it. And I think that uh, that's just all part of the evolution of having courage because you're not static. You have to keep moving forward. You have to keep learning and you have to be open. Were you at that, that event where we, we kind of got into the mind and we were walking around the grass? Were you at that event? Um, Oh, was that the neuro the neuro, neuro no, unfortunately i was i was i was in california i was hiking oh. in sedona so <laughs> oh well yeah you know they had us on a, a grassy field this was an eo event and okay they're like okay step away from the the desks you're all watching this presentation at and we are all in this grassy field and the moderator just had us take a step in any direction just one step and then take another one and sort of wait for the prompt to take steps. And it was interesting because you saw all of Heho Boston like taking steps in different directions. And then right away, I saw this like lighthouse that looked really cool. And I was like, I'm going to step toward that thing. I want to go check that out. And Fabiano actually saw that too. And so we kind of <laughs> were both going toward the lighthouse. Everyone else is like milling about and we're like, yeah. we're on the lighthouse. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it, it just, it kind of, Something simple as that, right? I was just sort of in the moment. We couldn't talk. So you're kind of just experiencing something. And I, I was getting all sorts of takeaways from that. And, and the moderator was saying, you know, you know, think about where you're going, why you're going, what are, you, what are you doing here? And just an idea of taking little steps toward a lighthouse. I was having all these aha moments that, you know, you, you don't necessarily get unless you're, you're at these things and, you know, you get over yourself and you're like, why am I walking around the yard back here? But no, get, get over yourself. Um, out of your comfort zone, like you're saying, to to see if maybe the moment can teach you something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there was another EO event I went to several years ago with a Navy SEAL. Were you a oh, fan? 
I went to that one. That was with so the boats. Cool. Yes, yeah, so we had to, we had to be divided into teams. We had a leader, and we had to pump up a, a zodiac boat, boat in a certain amount of time without uh, while giving the right directions. That was a really interesting uh, uh, example of how the leader didn't supply the right direct vision that we didn't understand how we had to execute it. And when you think of it, blowing up a boat seems like a really simple task. But there were different ways to do it. There were different sections. There were people had to work in certain ways. I, I believe we had to share a pump also or something like that. Oh, something, yeah. Correctly. Something like that. So uh, it was very interesting to see how each of the boat leaders uh, approached it and how some of those were overconfident and they realized that their overconfidence actually sunk their boat. Like, not to be funny there, but. No, and, but do you remember, um, did your group ever get punished for not meeting the deadline? Uh, yeah, we had to jump in the water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I watched some Navy SEAL TV shows and their punishment is like, go down to the ocean and then get wet and then roll yourself in sand, which is like their punishment. <laughs> and so we had like a little microcosm of that where it was like, oh, your boat team didn't finish on time. Great. Go run down the river and get wet. So we're all jumping in the Charles River for yeah. better or worse. <laughs> I know. If anyone knows the Charles River, it's uh, now it's much cleaner than it used to be. Oh, good. Okay. But yeah, I mean, that that was out of our comfort zones, but man, what the lessons learned there. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, definitely. So so tell me about this. How, how does this tie into, you know, you've been running your business for a while. Um, have, have you found in particular things, like if someone were to take away with them, how they can implement courage in their own, own organization, or at least as a leader, are there certain things you would recommend they do? Um. Well, one thing I do is I really take ownership for my mistakes. Mm. If I have made a decision and it doesn't go over well, and I've done it a couple of times where I've made a couple of choices and it was clear that it wasn't going to work. I stepped back. I rethought it. I took everyone else's, you know, opinions into consideration. And I said, okay, you know, now I've, I, I realized that what I was going to do is not going to work. I'm more than willing, you know, and I come up with a different way. So that's one thing that uh, I, I'm often uh, able to do. And another thing that I'm, I've spent the last year doing is firing myself from the day to day. And what that really requires is you to tolerate other employees making mistakes. You know, I read something recently and I can't remember where, I think it might've been in um, Bob, uh, Rob, Glazer's Friday Forward, one of his uh, oh, yeah. weekly emails, where he said, you know, most employees will do 80 to 85% of what, the way you would want to do it, the way you give direction and you're fine with it. And the last 15%, not that you have to live with it, but that you have to be patient and trained for that. Mm. And that you have to allow for that 15% of mistakes while you're training them up to a higher level. And I am in particularly, I think I'm particularly good. You can ask my team that, but I think I'm particularly good at tolerating that, that we get to the 85 and letting them kind of figure out some of it. I mean, not, I don't leave them, you know, to sink on their own. I definitely provide, right. you know, the resources that they need, but I am tolerant of them getting something wrong. You know, I had an employee the other day that did something that actually cost me $10,000. Oh, my goodness gracious. And I I said, and she knew what her mistake is. And <sighs> I had actually made a similar mistake myself. Didn't cost me $10,000. But I I was very understanding. I didn't. I was like, okay, now you know. Don't do that again. 
And she's like, yeah. So, um, so in that moment, when you found that out, what allowed you to have that, that response and not the, the hell is going on response, or maybe you had both, but you know, how, how, how did you do that magic? How'd you pull that trick off? Well, there were a couple things that happened. One, my team, I wasn't in the office when this happened. It involved okay. some others, other people on my team and they immediately took care of it. Mm. They made sure that things were smoothed over. And so when I got it, they had already solved the particular problem. But the thing that caused this situation, it was a document was saved somewhere in Dropbox that it shouldn't have been. Oh. We've all done that. Saved yeah. documents oh, yeah. where we shouldn't in Dropbox. So I could easily relate to it. I had I had uh, had put a document in Dropbox somewhere that I shouldn't have at one point, and it it came to bite me. So I think for me, I had tremendous empathy for what she had done because it was not on purpose. She thought she'd saved it to her desktop and she had, you know, we've all done that where you think you've saved something or it somehow gets out and, you know, it happens. But that price tag. Yes. But you, you could relate. I mean, we've all, we've all, I mean, I've sent out marketing wise, I've sent out the marketing email back in the day when it said, first name at the front of it <laughs> yeah, instead yeah. of instead of the actual first name because i forgot a single um percent sign and the code didn't work and then i'm emailing a couple hundred people bad email <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna date myself the first time i sent a direct mail campaign back which is like in the late 80s early 80s I forgot one of the pieces, one of the brochure pieces. No one, I was covering for someone. I didn't, I had never sent a direct mail piece out and it was missing one of the key brochures. Yeah, like it happens. And just, yeah, it, it happens to your point. And I think sometimes I, I feel better and it sounds like your team did this. They acted on it. They weren't trying to like, you didn't find out about it like months later and, no, and covered no. up there. Hey, we had an issue. We've solved it. We've identified maybe why it happened, and and we feel terrible about it. So that you could come in and say, "I understand. You know, you'll get the you'll get it next time." But let's <laughs> only have a one mistake, right? Like you yeah, 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 yeah. The next time, that was on you. Yeah, uh, I'll send you the bill next time. But no, <laughs> we've all we've all made those. It happened to me one time with a a team member who, uh, you know, was trying to do a little traveling and had the company laptop in her backpack and you know, liked Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi and also in the backpack and did not quite, it was a pl plastic bottle, did not quite seal that bottle mm -hmm. and got Coke everywhere and it murdered the laptop. Um, and it was like, hey, we all, I, we all, we adopted a policy actually. Like you get an oops, you know, you get, you get an oops. Don't, you don't get a second one. <laughs> Laptops on you the second time, but yeah, yeah. first time I, we've been there, but be careful and, you know, don't do that. Uh, have you heard of, uh, Dan Sullivan has this experience transformer. Have you heard of that? No, no. It's this interesting tool where it kind of just walks a team through a debrief and it basically asks them, well, what worked right then? What didn't work well? What came from that? And then what actions are we going to take so that never happens again? Mm -hmm. And I found that having some kind of debrief, it sounds like your team just sort of took this on, which is great. Mm -hmm. But when I, when I hear some kind of learning happening afterward, that makes me feel reassured that this isn't going to happen again, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And they were taking it seriously because it's that weird balance of, well, do I, how mad should I be so that they understand how serious this is? But if everyone gets it, we did a debrief and 
or taking some actions, I think that helps me not react. Um, but that that's amazing that you you had the patience to do that. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, something that you're talking about, we used to do, and we do it sometimes, we call change the future. So we have, we'll do a debrief. Sometimes if we have a campaign that goes um, uh, poorly for whatever reason, we will sit down, we'll list all the things about the campaign that we know, and then we'll list all the things, all the good things that happened in the campaign, and then all the bad things that happened in the campaign and then all the possible solutions or ways to correct that. And then we will commit as a team to take one, two, three of those points, whatever, and implement them. And uh, we've, we used to do that a lot more. The good news is we actually have uh, campaigns. We don't have those problems the way we used to. So I guess we've taken our learnings and definitely applied them. But the, that's, I think that's a good way to do it, especially if you're seeing the same problems crop up you know, the same kind of situation, whatever your thing is, if you keep kind of seeing the same thing happening, it's really good to kind of look at it, do a deep dive on that one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, I love the name of that, by the way, change the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, that was my email. It'd be like the, the meeting invite is change the future meeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. And then listing out the possible ways you could correct it, picking a few, taking some action, all right. Now we've, we've, we pay, we've got a reward for that payment on that lesson learned just now. So crazy. Uh, question. Uh, what are you learning lately? Do you have any books you recommend? Any books, audible books, podcasts? So I am very selective in what I read because I spend all this time in EO learning from going to events. So two books that I have read that um, really have been impactful for me. One is The Big Leap by Gay Henderson. I don't know if you've read that, but basically no. it focuses on, it talks about your zone of genius, your zone of excellence, your zone of, I can't remember all four of them, but like your zone of competence and your zone of incompetence or something like that. And a lot of times we work in our zone of excellence when we should be in our zone of genius. And you really, it, it encourages you to sit down and really look at what you do on a day-to-day -day basis and then figure out those things that you don't wanna be doing and make sure that you uh, delegate, hire, whatever you need to do to, to fire yourself from those things, which is an exercise I went through last year with one of my coaches and he helped me identify those things that I needed to get out of, and there were like five things and I'm out of all of them by the end of the year, you know, just sticking to it. And then with each one, we came up with specific action steps that would be required. Like, for example, I was doing bookkeeping and I was doing that only, I was doing that mostly because of COVID it hit and we were kind of doing a, yeah. you know, stopgap thing and it had gotten to the point where I needed to get myself out. So we then talked about the steps that were involved about that in the timeline and, and all of that. So that's a really good book. And it, uh, it allows you to have a lot of introspection. And another one is um, Vivid Vision by um, Cameron, why do I forget his name? Cameron Harold. Okay. And what that is, is that you put together a 10-year vision. Uh, so you start, in my case, when I wrote it, it was 2020. It was in the middle of COVID. So I started, you know, out in 2030 and, and was reflecting back to 2020. And... It, it, he really breaks it down into some nice areas where you, you can have, you have your overall vision, then you have financial vision, you have 
your sales vision, your marketing vision, your team vision, your core, whatever, there's, there's a whole section on it. And uh, you write that up and then you share it with your team, which is a very vulnerable thing to do. So I shared some stuff with my team that I probably would not have shared had I not done that. And I now share it with every new employee as they come on. And the other thing I've been doing is I've been taking that vision and I've been working with one of my um, coaches and each year we pull something out of that vision and that's what we work on for the year. So last year it was making myself redundant, you know, getting myself out of the day to day. And this year I'm still trying to, to hone it down, but I think it's around leadership. And mm. I'm, I'm working with my coach and maybe another person in EO. Uh, we have our first meeting, I think next week, and we're going to be creating, I'm not sure what we're creating because I'm in the middle of this, but it's going to be yeah. something like leaders creating leaders. And that I want, I also want that to be my theme for when I'm uh, the president of EO Boston. So I'm trying to take this stuff and bring it there. And into that, you know, bring it into EO and share it with my team. So it's just kind of an interesting path I'm on. I'm just at the beginning of this journey, but I'm very excited by it. Love the concept of it. And I think sometimes the leadership concept gets, is like, it's fluff. And then for people who should be working on a skill, and then later on, people who should be working on it, maybe aren't working on it. They're stuck in the business, like what you we're able to free yourself from. And then once you free yourself from that, like, what do I do with all my time? It's like leadership. And, and what does that really mean? And how do you get better at that? I think that's a, I don't know the answers to that. I mean, that's a great, great challenge, you know, or a call to action for everyone is let's get better at this and let's create leaders on our teams and let's work better at being leaders. And then here you are being the leader of the leaders and <laughs> sort of this trickle down effect. We're all sort of workshopping this together. I think definitely it makes sense for EO because we can immediately apply it. You know, you hear one thing, like we're saying it, one event, one thing on leadership. Maybe you drop that into your next team meeting. Yeah. Yeah. I always try to bring back um, anything I have to the team and whether I do it formally or subtly, you know, that, that, that is, uh, it can go either way, but yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting journey that I'm, I'm coming down. And I, and as part of this, I've been trying to define my mission in life. Ooh. And I, I think it's to, to create leaders, you know, and it just kind of came to me in an epiphany recently and, and, you know, and it was something I hadn't really thought about, but I would say that I have been subtly moving in that direction without a conscious move in the sense that, you know, becoming the president of EO is definitely one of a big step in that direction. And, and I'm doing this also for selfish reasons. My leadership team is very young and I mm. want to make sure, I think the oldest person is 40. There's three of them and they're younger than her. And, and I want to make sure that they can lead the company when I'm not there in my absence, that I can trust that they'll make the right decisions. And, uh, you know, that's what's well, smart of you to think about elevating those people because you're right. And we don't come built in with built in manager skills, you know, um, or leader skills. I mean, we may have some ideas from the soccer team, but it, we don't really, what, what do you do? You know, even as basic as, do you have a one-on-one? -on -one? What do you even talk about? You know, and in the career of the team, people on your team, and I, we're so that that's really neat that you're sort of distilling down that mission. Does it now that you sort of stated it? 
does does it feel right and can you explain why that is your mission or is it just one of those things that you feel and, and it's almost too hard to like grab it you know and explain it almost takes away from it or can you have you been able to put words to that i'm still trying to put words to it yeah. but i it's it is more of a feeling i think that that's a great way to phrase it but I've been kind of heading there, you know, as I, as I step back day to day, what am I going to do to stay engaged and stay, stay excited? And, and I, I really like to bring people up. I'm, I, I, I just really like to see people excel. I am genuinely like to help people. And I know that sounds kind of cliche, but I, I really, I really want to see people achieve their best. And I think that that's one way. And I mean, we all struggle with being a leader. I mean, I, I have struggled many times over, over the years in particular, I, I co-own my business with my husband. So, you know, that presents a whole different set of challenges. And he retired from the business uh, almost two years ago. So when he retired, that was terrifying to me. Oh my God, you know? And uh, so I hired a coach. (laughs) Yeah. It, do you want to, any shout outs to the coach? Um, Bill Flynn from Catalyst Growth Advisors. He's, he's a great. And uh, if you're in Massachusetts, you can actually uh, uh, apply for a workforce management grant too. So he's, he's great. He's a great guy. And he, he provided that higher level uh, senior person that I needed in the room. My husband's still involved and he goes to our our planning meetings, but I needed someone else to bounce off things that had some more experience than my leadership team. And it's really worked out well. I think it's really helped all of us. Helps helps us look outward because a lot of times with your team in general and leaders in particular, they get, they look down, they forget to look out. And mm-hmm. while you do need to look down to, to see where you're stepping on a day-to-day basis to solve problems, if you don't look outward, you will never get anywhere. And I have found over the years that my coaches and mentors have helped me look outward. And it took me a long time to convince my, my younger leadership team that they needed to look outward to get there. I mean, we are having a phenomenal year because we are looking outward and not just day-to-day what needs to be done. Mm. Keeping your head up reminds me of almost any activity ever where you need to look up, you know, chin up, skydiving, yoga, every, it's like, look up. When you look down, you, you start heading down. Well, it's not as satisfying to look outward because those goals are very long-term. They take, you have to very methodically move towards them. You don't get that quick fix of fixing yeah. something, of doing something, of, of solving a problem. We get addicted to that. And I think also the fast pace of, of our society and computers have got it very addicted to this very moment to moment to moment. And if you want to succeed and excel, you've got to look outward. You have to look in the future. 100%. Well, my next question is really, after all this amazing conversation, who are you? <laughs> who is Lisa? Can you take me back in time to like little Lisa days? Did you know when you were growing up, what was it like? And did you know you're going to be a boss, an entrepreneur, a leader of leaders in the future? Um, you know, I think I did. I've always had this vision of going forward. Like when I was five years, I grew up in San Diego. 
And I lived there until I was 12. And when I uh, was five years old, we used to make rings out of uh, wire. One of my friend's uh, fathers worked for the telephone company. We'd make our pictures. We'd lock door to door and sell our wire and our pictures and rocks. Not just at a stand. We'd literally go door to door and sell them. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And then um, later in my life, when I was 12, I moved to Northern California, uh, Mendocino, uh, about five hours uh, north of San Francisco. And I lived there for about three years. So I got to see some really interesting things. It was very much hippie world when I was there. And then when I was 16, I moved to East Machias, Maine, about a half an hour from the Canadian, Canadian border. 16? Right coast. Yes, uh, yes. I can't and, imagine you were happy about that. No, there's nothing worse than a angry 16-year-old. Um, so yeah, I went into my junior year there. But anyway, when I graduate, you know how in your yearbook, they usually talk about, um, they ask you what you want to be when you graduate or when you will grow up and mine sure. to own my own business. Really? Yeah, I know, which is really fun. I didn't even realize it. My kids pulled out my yearbook the other day and um, they were looking at it and I laughed at that. But in hindsight, it's not that, not that surprising. I grew up, um, my mother's a first generation Italian. My grandparents on that side came over from Italy. They started with nothing. They had a, their own business, their own store, apartments, and orchards. My mother always had some sort of business. She had a used clothing business. She was a bookkeeper. She um, she paints. So she's. I've always grown up with people around me that were creating their own lives and and owning their own journey. And I just. I just, I just, I thought everyone did it. I think it's. Wow. Wow. Their own, creating their own lives. Yes. Yes. And it's also living in rural Maine. There was nothing up there, you know, mm. so everyone had to. Uh, Where in Maine were you? You said Machias? Yeah. It's at a half an hour oh from the Canadian gosh. border, right on the coast. It's, it, it's north of Bar Harbor. And it's, it's almost, I think it's a little better now, but back then it was basically not above subsistence living. You know, literally in the, in the summer, you would dig clams and then you would rake blueberries and then you would uh, cut wood in the winter. And, you know, there was like this roving lifestyle in order to uh, uh, make money. In order to just make, make do. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Let's see. I'm zooming out on the map. Oh boy. Yep. Up there. Yeah, yeah way farther than Bar Harbor. And that's yeah. a trip. I mean, a yeah, lot of yeah, Boston folks listening to this were thinking, yeah. that was a long drive to get to Bar Harbor, especially with a bunch of kids in the back. Uh, but yeah. Machias, yeah, wow. Oh, I see. Yeah, there's the line right there. There's yeah. the border. Yeah, it's, six hour, it's a six-hour drive. It's 350 miles. It's, it's, it's beautiful, but it's a long drive. Do you, do you ever go back? Is your family yeah. there still? I don't. My mother um, moved away, I'm trying to think, maybe about 15 years ago. And then, okay. um, she lives in Delaware. So I don't go. She's like, that. I'm all set with this northern Maine living. <laughs> there she, went to, she went to live with my brother. My brother yeah. happened to live in Wilmington, yes, Delaware. I'm going south. Yes. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. Beautiful land up there, but it can be tough, especially in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It was a real life changing experience it, yeah. it, it it actually drove it made me incredibly uh ambitious isn't the right word driven really? to get out of there and i was just so focused i'm going to college and as soon as i finished college i'm like i'm getting out of the state i love me so don't get me wrong but i was just like you know I'm, I'm gonna i need to find my own path and it really 
I think pushed me because I was a very um, quiet and shy young lady and it really pushed me to move past that. You know, a lot of people have that experience when they do a job early on, you know, like fast food or something where they go, I probably should lean into school so that I don't <laughs> end up here later. Um, but it sounds like Maine had that driver for you. And it's a fun place to visit. But when you're a 16 year old coming from California, yeah. holy crap. And, and do you remember your first winter? Were you like, the hell is this? <laughs> and it, it was one of the worst winters they had had in a long time. And it, Machias isn't too bad because it's on the ocean or right, right. on the water there. So right. it, we don't get as much snow. But I remember going out in the backyard. I'm only five feet tall, but it was up to my mid thighs. And I'm like, oh, okay, like I've died. And, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you didn't let your parents know how dissatisfied you were at all. Throughout no, that. not at all. No, never. <laughs> not at 16. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I have a hypothetical question for you. Okay. Um, let's say, um, well, I may or may not have a time machine up, up in New Hampshire, up here. Uh, and so let's say you, you come over, you get some beers, and you get a chance to use this time machine. It's actually in my backyard, covered by a tarp. So you use this time machine. You go back to a particular time. You get to go meet yourself a few days after graduating with that degree and, and you're done school now and it's time to go out there, but you get to meet this version of you. What kind of things would you tell her knowing what you've been through and all the things you've experienced? What advice would you give her? I would say to delegate more earlier, even if it costs you money and you bring home less, <laughs> you know, that, that, that if you can do that, it will serve you better in the long run. It will help you grow your business too. And you won't, because as I often hear, and I'm sure you hear this, Casey, too, um, is that if you're spending all the time doing things that you shouldn't be doing and you don't have the time to be looking outward and, you know, it, it pays off in the long run, but in the short term, it not, always seems like it's not worth the value. 100%. Like the zones you were talking about earlier, if you spend all your time in those zones of competence, you know, that genius never gets a shot at bat. Right, right, right. And we tend to do that because we feel confident. Oh, yeah. We feel like this a success. We feel like, oh, yeah, I've gotten this done, but it's not the right thing to get done. Right. The Just because you can get it done doesn't mean you should be. Right, right, right. It's the whole thing is, is it important? Is it important urgent or is it urgent? You know, and you got to make that distinction or is it just something you want to do? Yeah, you can't, you can't survive making everything urgent because then nothing's yeah. urgent. Right, right, right. It just doesn't work like that. I say that all the time. <laughs> Everything's urgent. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> um, so, hey, this has been fantastic. I, I bet people would love to connect with you real quick. Um, you do lead generation. Yes. What kind for what, who are your ideal customers for people listening? Uh, so our ideal company uh, customer is usually a company that has revenue of 50 million or plus. Okay. Uh, and most of our clients are in the IT sector, but they don't need to be. They just tend to be more progressive in what they do. And the primary thing that distinguishes us or, or, or client that, that we would have is they need to sell some sort of enterprise level solution, something that costs like $100,000 or more as a lifetime value, $100,000 or more, because our programs are very targeted and um, they're further down the funnel than most leads. So they cost more. So you need to have, you know, to get an ROI, you need to be selling something expensive. All right. And if they fit that bill and they should reach out to you, what is the best place? 
to reach out to oh, or anyone that's interested in EO as well as they start coming in. What kind of platforms, social platforms, URLs, throw them all out at us. Yeah. So we have simplydirect.com. So you can find me there. If you send something to sales, it will definitely make it to my desk or the right person. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. It's, you know, Lisa Vitale, Simply Direct. So you can find me there. Uh, also for EO, that's eoboston.org. Um, so if you go there, you can, if you click on the information button there, it will find its way to me too through, through magic, uh, the magic of our chapter manager. Uh, and the, the other traditional one, we're on Twitter too, and we are, uh, I think we have, we have a Facebook account, so all the traditional ways. Love it. Love it. This has been so good. Thank you so much for coming on here and sharing, you know, all this, the, the courage and, and real leadership and, and kind of getting us excited for the upcoming year at EO and talking about leaders leading leaders. Yeah. Thank you so much, Casey. This has been a, a ton of fun. I really appreciate you inviting me. Absolutely. And for those listening, if you learned something, and I know you did because I literally have two pages of notes over here, front and back, then share this episode with someone else. That's how you show thought leadership and getting content in the right hands. You know, fellow entrepreneur, maybe they're struggling with some of these issues. Um, who couldn't benefit from hearing about courage and just a little encouragement around that? Um, I, I know a lot of people that that come to mind and I, I can't wait to share this episode with them. So, um, Again, Lisa, thank you so much for being on here. Yeah, oh, you're welcome. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. That was awesome. This is another amazing episode of Leadership in Action, and we will see you all next time. Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston Chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer -peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.